Welcome to this webinar that's called Don't Let Remote Working Derail Innovation. As I just said, it's great to see so many people here uh, from different countries, from diverse industries, uh, some people that we know very well, uh, some people that we don't know so well, which is also really nice for us. Um, so I want to say a big thank you and welcome to all of you. Um, Innovinco has existed for three years now, and this is the first webinar that we're doing. Um, so we'll be really interested to get a bit of feedback for you at the end. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom Pullen. I'm the founder and CEO of Innovinco, and I've been doing that for the last three years uh, since I left the corporate innovation world where I was uh, doing roles at Danone, at Mars, at Boots, which some of you in the UK will know. And those roles were split across the UK, France, and a bit of time in the US as well. And I'm delighted to be here with Londa, who's based in London. Hi everyone, um, Londa Rebetsky here. I'm Innovation Director at Innovinco. So uh, prior to joining Innovinco, I spent the last um, 17 odd years working across many different countries um, for companies like SAB, Miller, Kimberly Clark and Mars, um, leading innovation projects and leading innovation teams. So very excited to be chatting here with you today. So this isn't a commercial break, for, but for those of you who don't know what it is that we do, at Innovinco and how we do it and how we're different from a lot of other actors out there. It's really simple. So we just help large established companies. Uh, we don't touch any smaller sized ones because our competency and our expertise is really in large established companies. And we do that through short modular solutions, always powered by senior talents with real life experience innovating within corporates. Um, so we're not consultants, we've been in your shoes, we know how to do it because uh, we've struggled ourselves over many years, as Londa said. And we work across all different industry sectors from retail through to food and beverage, through to oil and gas, through to telecoms, through to everything you could possibly imagine. So uh, before we get started, just one housekeeping point, which is that we will share this deck with you uh, later today. Um, obviously, we'll send it to the email addresses that you put in the webinar invitation. So no need to write lots of notes. We've deliberately put a lot of detail onto the slides so that hopefully you can refer back to it afterwards and uh, transform those learnings into action. So the starting point for this webinar, well, Londra and I realized that actually, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 has had, uh, you know, a very quick and powerful impact on, on many different things, actually. And so we said, look, we should really do something about this in our own very small way to try and help. Uh, we realize that it's not in the sense of health and we know it's not in the sense of making a big difference to people's lives, but we did feel a responsibility to try and do just something small to help people in the context of this difficult situation. Difficult from a personal perspective, but also quite difficult from a professional perspective. Uh, and that's really where our expertise lies, which is why we chose the theme for this webinar. So this thing has arrived very quickly and it's made some very quick and fundamental changes across the world in a very short space of time. You know, to see some of these images maybe four or five weeks ago would have felt like a bit strange and, and quite shocking. And I think the fact that we have media now who are relaying this 24 hours a day, we're starting to get almost used to the fact that uh, these kind of images can exist and these situations where you know, hygiene and, and health become really primordial, primordial within uh, society. And a lot of language being used, which is very provocative, but also relatively justified. You know, in France, where, where we're based, there's a lot of talk about war. War, um, President Macron used the word actually in his big address a couple of uh, days ago. You know, we are kind of fighting a war, but it's not against an enemy that has people. It's against a virus that we can't see and to a certain degree find it difficult to control. So this isn't really life uh, as usual as we knew it uh, four to six weeks ago, at least at this specific moment in time. And what that led to is some quite strange consumer behavior, actually. And we're not going to spend much time on this, but I, I took uh, this picture out of the media from this weekend of UK shoppers 
uh, queuing in order to buy their, their food and, and groceries. And you know, this is probably the first time in our history that we see such extensive and such radical behavior from consumers that's changing in such a short space of time, which is also leading to some strange personal behavior between consumers. An example here taken from Australia of people fighting over toilet rolls where there's no actual reason why people should require toilet rolls for this coronavirus pandemic. So what does that mean? Well, that means that we're now in a world uh, which where countries are implementing remote working as a mandatory way to control this thing. So in France here, it started uh, last week, about 10 days ago. Uh, in the UK, it effectively started uh, yesterday. And around the world, it started, or it's already started, or it's, uh, it's, it's about to start. So this is kind of uh, becoming the new normal, at least for the foreseeable few weeks. And I think when you think of the word remote working, eight weeks ago, you might have thought of this beautiful, zen, serene environment where you can gently look at your emails whenever you want and it's all very calm. Or on the other, uh, on the other token, more like the, the office, the home office that's taken out of one of those glossy decoration magazines. However, I think we all recognize that that's very, very far from the reality of remote working for, for most people. And as someone who has uh, quite a few children, we've got four here, this is probably a more accurate representation of uh, what it's like to homework here. Uh, you know, whether it's the kids on the left trying to help in adverted commas, or whether it's just the fact that they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing because you're not watching them and you're trying to answer urgent emails and urgent calls. Both of them are quite disruptive. And there are many other things which can disrupt remote working as well from uh, even spouses, husbands, wives, through to pets, animals. You know, we've seen all different types of challenges for remote working over the last, over the last few days. And I think we need to acknowledge that this situation isn't gonna change anytime soon. You know, I'm an optimist and I've always been an optimist and, and what have you, but the statistics and the data show that we're kind of stuck with this thing for the foreseeable future, which means that we need to find strategies and we need to think about how we're proactively going to manage the situation. What's interesting, uh, if you take off our personal hat for a moment and look from a business perspective, is that crises have always been amazing periods for generating innovation. So if you look back, actually, I'd encourage you to do it. If you look back over the previous major crises that the world has seen, there has always been major innovation breakthroughs that come out of it. Because as many of you will know, actually putting people in constrained environments or putting constraints on how things can happen often leads to extreme elements of creativity and problem solving. And it's not just us saying that, it's one of many articles uh, that are around on this topic at the moment from Forbes, where they say that pandemics catalyze innovation and they accelerate change by providing an environment for launching and testing new ideas. And we strongly believe in that, which is part of the reason that we wanted to do the call quickly today. And I think we need to acknowledge as well that Innovation will be necessary, you know, in some companies and in some industries, it's still perceived as a kind of nice to have, you know, if I innovate, great, if I don't innovate this year, okay, fine, maybe I'll do it next year. And actually, our strong belief is that in the post-COVID world, innovation will be necessary. Why? Because we'll need to get companies back to a sustainable level of growth. You know, what we've seen over the last two weeks is some companies whose growth is exploding because they're benefiting from, uh, from the, the crisis, not in, a, not in an evil way, but just because their product is necessary and more necessary at the moment. We've also seen companies who are effectively probably gonna die 
because the cash simply doesn't come in in this new environment. So all companies to a certain degree will need to find the new equilibrium of what that sustainable growth actually looks like. The second thing is that once the teams are out of isolation, we'll need to rebuild and reinvigorate and connect those people back together to work out how they're now gonna work uh, together, which might be slightly different than the way that they worked before the crisis or the, work, or the way in which they're working now during the crisis. They'll need to find the, the new normal of ways of working. And the third point here is that, you know, to a certain degree, most companies will need to reconnect and re-engage with consumers or customers. That's maybe perceived to be a bit more tricky now, and we'll talk more about that later, but it's going to be absolutely critical to do that once this thing settles down a bit. But how do we do that? So how do we innovate? How do we innovate in this strange situation that we've never been uh, fronted with before? So Londra and I have spent a lot of time this week trying to think about what would our five top priorities be using all of the different experience that we've had innovating within large companies, within large organizations. And the first one, which seems kind of a bit fluffy really, um, is, is really about embracing the team. You know, when you think often about innovation, for those of you who've seen my, my TED talk, you know, innovation isn't about technology and it's not about things. It starts and ends with people. Uh, and that's a real fundamental driver of innovation performance. And so in this crisis, world, your number one priority remains your people and it becomes even more so. Why is that? It's because innovation is never something that can really be done on your own. It's not a solo endeavor. You know, as corporate innovators, most projects are working with extended teams, whether that's cross-functional, cross-capability, cross-geography but it's about a group of diverse individuals putting their brains and their expertise together to create something that doesn't currently exist for the company. And so what that means is that you definitely need your teams to still be on board to keep that innovation going. And you know, obviously companies can't possibly stop innovating within this current situation, even if it may be a bit tougher and you can't push that through alone. And so what we encourage you to do for the first priority is to really take the time and make the effort to look out for each other. And it sounds very fluffy, very emotional. And those of you who know me well realize it's not necessarily my style, but it's fundamental if you want to get this innovation stuff working during this exceptional period. And that doesn't matter whether you're a team leader, whether you're senior, whether you're junior, that doesn't matter at all. It's about humans reaching out to humans and supporting each other during this tricky period. And one specific point I wanted to drag out is that within your project teams, you may well have some profiles that are a little bit quieter, a little bit more um, introverted, who might not necessarily take the immediate initiative to reach out to you as project leader. So take that responsibility to reach out, especially to those people, um, those sometimes more technical people who would more appreciate than anyone you reaching out to check if they're okay. And a big shout out, especially to colleagues in R&D, who as a function can often get a little bit put to the side and a bit forgotten. And I really encourage that the business people on the call to especially reach out to those kind of functions um, to show them that you care, basically. And I think with your project team, then you need to really honestly and openly acknowledge their reality. You know, you can't pretend in this new situation. You need to really openly recognize the very unique and challenging circumstances that people are facing. 
And so we recommend doing this in three different steps. You know, take the time to ask about the personal circumstances of your project team members. What's the impact on their role and their role within your project team? And I know that some of you on the call are really significantly impacted and constrained by this new way of working. I know because often you've called us over the last week or so and told us that you're really struggling for family reasons, personal reasons, kids reasons, a lot of different challenges there. And within the organization, you need to address that openly and honestly. What are you able and capable to do in this new way of working? And how can we make this easiest for you by, for example, predefining times that are going to be best and worst for you to be working. And that's going to be really individual based on the individual circumstances of each project team member. And one way that you can help with that is to really lead by example with clarity and transparency is to very uh, proactively say, well, this is what I'm going to do. You know, the reality is I'm going to work mornings whilst my husband looks after the kids and then we swap for the afternoon. It's much better to be open, honest and transparent about that with your teams and your project teams than an expectation that they need to hide it because then you'll get into a, a right mess. We also need to be aware that some of the people in your project teams probably have business critical roles. You know, supply chain is a great example here because they're focused almost 24 hours a day on trying to get products or services uh, to customers. And so for those specific profiles, uh, you might need to be even more patient in the time that they can give you to move forward your innovation project. Last but not least on this point, you know, there's loads of general remote working advice at the moment. LinkedIn is full of it and it's not the role of this call. What we've done, and we'll send this obviously to you, is just pull out 15, uh, sorry, five articles that we found that we quite liked, which might help you with the more general remote working questions. But for the rest of this webinar, we're going to focus on the specific innovation challenges. So the second priority that we then went on to is for who are leading innovation projects. How do you reinvigorate those projects? How do you make sure these projects can continue forward in these times? So what we phrase this as is your second priority is to absolutely to re-kick off your projects. So what does this mean and what does this look like? Basically, what we want you to do is replicate your initial kickoff that you would have done at the start of your innovation project. Bring the extended project team together in a virtual re-kickoff meeting. Make sure everyone is there representing their functions. And we're going to talk to you in a bit about some of the technology platforms that you can use to do this. What's going to be really important in this, and in fact, in everything that you're going to be doing while remote working, is make sure that, the, that your communication is crystal clear. Make sure your agenda is very well designed, communicate it in advance, and make sure that the team members that you're expecting to come along and participate know what they need to do in order to prepare for that uh, participation and their input. What you want to do with this re-kickoff is share the current status of the innovation project. Depending where you are in the project uh, timeline, there may be people on this team who haven't touched your project for a period. What you want to do is make sure they're really clear where you're at and review all the elements that you would normally review within your initial kickoff meeting. What you want to do as well is remind everyone about the project ambition. What are you trying to do for this innovation project? Reshare that, restate that with the team, because in most circumstances, this will not change. Your innovation project ambition should remain the same. The way you're going to get there might change, but the ambition remains the same. You also need to rethink about your project priority in light of the current circumstances. Does your project have the ability to become a higher priority than it was, given what we're expecting about consumer behaviour? 
indeed, and this is a very uh, sensible and grown up approach, does it become a lower priority than what it does? Or does it in fact remain unchanged? The important thing to remember as a project leader is your project does not exist within isolation. There are a lot of other projects within the innovation pipeline. If you're a team leader on this call, reviewing that pipeline and reviewing the respective prioritizations of the projects is a really crucial step to take right here and now. The timeline. So again, at the outset, at your project kickoff, you would have developed a timeline for your project. Now is the time to bring that timeline back out. And what you're going to need to do is ask yourself some really crucial questions. And in fact, I should pause on that, not ask yourself, ask yourself and the team, because this is a team activity to do. You need to look at all the elements within your timeline and ask the team, what may be delayed given what we know now? Indeed, what can we accelerate? There might be things in your timeline that you have forecast to do six months down the track. Can you use this time here and now to accelerate some of those things and bring them forward while people have the capacity or the ability to do those things, but potentially not others? The other important thing to ask is what can we potentially skip? Are there parts in this process, in this timeline, that are not, no longer going to be relevant? Or that we can say to the business, we are not going to do this piece of consumer research now, we're going to do it later, and, uh, and as a way of juggling this, we're going to do some different types of research, for example. The other important part, so every great timeline should have contingencies. I would really encourage you to look at what contingencies do we need to add in specifically relating to these circumstances. And then lastly, but very crucially, what is the most realistic launch date given what we currently know? We don't know everything at the moment and we're not going to know everything, I don't think. Um, but realistically, let's pressure, pressure test the timeline and the launch date. So make sure the other thing to think about is think about the risks driven, not just by changes in the external world, but to your internal ways of working. So most of us will have normal timings for things on how we operate as a company. So for example, corporate affairs will take five days to review your project. Again, given the current situation, this may be different. So we need to double check all of the assumptions that you have within your timeline to make sure and ask yourselves, are they still valid in this new environment? Crucially, this is not to add in length to your timeline. What you're trying to do is to anticipate what are the potential blockers? What are the things that have changed so that you and the team can proactively work out how you can best address them, how you can anticipate and make sure they don't derail your innovation project. The next thing to look at, and again, this should have come from your initial project kickoff meeting, is the risk assessment. If you didn't do a risk assessment, I suggest this might be the time to actually do one. <laughs> Um, so the risk assessment is a crucial part of managing your project risk where you try and look at all of the things that you think might be likely and how severe this is um, in terms of the impact on your project. Bring that risk assessment back out and again, as a team, relook at this, re at this risk assessment. Collectively brainstorm the new risks, the additional risks, things that are, they want to bring into the forum onto your, that, that may impact your project. This is quite a cathartic exercise for people. I think at this point in time, a lot of people are feeling a lot of risk in the world and a lot of worry. And I'd encourage you to let them out, let them get it all out on this. And so really bring out all the risks that you think could hit your project as a consequence of what's happening now. Put them as a team on your risk matrix. And you can do this uh, in a digital and online environment. Take a look at the risks that were already there as well. Do those risks evolve? Are they different now because of what's happening? And again, as a team, evaluate your risk matrix until you get to a point where you are confident that you have captured the most relevant and the most impactful risks. The last point is really crucial. 
then use this risk assessment to communicate to your leadership team where your project is at and the risk levels associated with it. Your leadership team at this point are grappling with a whole lot of different things. So your clarity and your communication about the risks around your project are crucial at this point. So priority three is all about moving and transitioning from physical ways of doing things to more electronic, more digital, more online ways of doing things. It's a really important point, and we've seen a couple of um, our client partners over the last uh, week or so struggle with this. But basically, innovation methodology does not change at all within this new environment. The way in which you should be innovating, it doesn't change at all. It's just the way of performing those methodologies and tasks which needs to change. It's just a way, it's not actually what you're trying to achieve that changes. And, you know, we've been talking about this for, for quite a while now, but all physical innovation actions can be replicated using digital tools. You know, we've all had habits over the last 10, 15, 20 years to do a lot of these things physically, but with the amazing tools that are now available, you can replicate that often in a faster way and often with zero sacrifice on the quality of the outputs. And I think at the beginning, a couple of years ago, we felt that was quite hard to achieve and I'm not sure that we really believed that. Now we're integrating these digital tools into our ways of working all the time. We know and we're sure that this is completely, completely possible. So, you know, I've not uh, put everything on here but here are some tools that we like that we've used that we think can help and basically what you've got is a digital tool for every job that you might have within the innovation process obviously this is not exhaustive nor do we have uh, commercial relationships with these companies uh, but for example uh, if you're running sort of co-creation collaboration ideation sessions where you need some sort of electronic whiteboard capability, then there's some great uh, platforms like Mural, Klaxoon, or Miro. If you're looking at prototyping, specifically on digital prototyping, there's Adobe XD, Envision, Figma, Sketch. Um, if you're looking to test or validate hypotheses or assumptions or product ideas or concepts, there's very easy ways to do that with platforms like Typeform, SurveyMonkey, and even the very basic tools like Google Forms are perfectly adapted for this kind of job. So we've just put three examples there, but obviously there's a massive list of tools available to do every different step within the innovation journey. And really importantly, that digitalization also is applicable to workshops. So one of the slightly strange um, bits of behavior that we've seen over the last two, three weeks is people questioning the need or the ability to run workshops. And we kind of go, why are people asking these questions? This seems a little bit weird. Obviously, you can't meet. But the reality is that the need doesn't change. So why? Because workshops that the role that they play is often to move innovation projects forward in a very fast effective and aligned way so there's a question of speed there's a question of effectiveness and impact and also the the question of getting a lot of different people not only to contribute but also to make sure that everything's moving in the right direction and those things remain the same within this new world. And therefore, you have to keep workshops or variations of workshops in order to keep your projects on track. Because actually, it's quite difficult to replicate the speed and the effectiveness and the alignment if you don't do something that resembles a kind of workshop format. And that's why. Uh, that's why workshops typically are so heavy within the innovation process. And what we're, we're keen to share with you 
is that it is perfectly possible to run full workshops virtually, so remotely using digital tools with really excellent uh, results. But we do acknowledge that that does require some adaptations. And so what we wanted to share in this next section is really the adaptations that we found through running digital workshops to try and help you in doing them. The first point here is that virtual workshops can take a little bit longer to prepare. Okay, so that's a downside, I guess, in the fact that you need to do that more preparation that you might need to do for a physical workshop. So what does that mean? Well, it means before you run your virtual workshop, you'll have to be even more rigorous than you would be in building the agenda. And why is that? It's because you'll have less flexibility versus if you were delivering a workshop live and you won't have that nice ability that you get when you see people in the room to be able to read the room to see how's it going do they need more time etc so you definitely need to be more rigorous uh, in building the agenda and the objectives and the timings for each slot the second point is that pre-work is even more valuable for virtual workshops than it is for physical workshops you know, often we get people go, oh, pre-work, I don't want to do it. However, for virtual workshops, the behavior around pre-work is often a little bit different. People see it as a way to engage uh, and contribute, uh, which is a bit less obvious for them sometimes within, um, within a virtual workshop, how they're going to do that during the one day or the two days. So they're actually happy to invest a bit more time especially if that pre-work is a kind of inspirational pre-work and helps to bring something that really challenges people's perceptions and challenges people's assumptions. So definitely, if you can, integrate some pre-work into uh, your virtual workshop, but obviously making sure that you give people enough time to be able to do that well. The third point is that when you're giving exercises as the facilitator for a virtual workshop, those exercises need to be extremely clear and explicit, um, often written down on a slide so that there is no hesitation and no doubt in what you're asking the participants to do. Because obviously running these virtual, uh, workshops virtually means that the communication is slightly less fluid than it would be if you were face-to-face. -face. And so overcompensate for that by just making the instructions for exercises written, point one, and even more explicit, point two. And the fourth thing, which sounds stupid, but it's really critical, is that you have to be confident in mastering the technology, the connections, and the platforms that you're using. There's nothing more frustrating than a, a webinar or a conference call or a virtual workshop where the basics of people hearing or seeing the slides or being able to participate or being able to hear each other are not in place. So take responsibility as the owner of a virtual workshop to make sure that those problems don't happen. And if they do happen, make sure you've got a backup that can be easily activated. So that's before your virtual workshop. During your virtual workshop, we've got six pieces of advice to give you. So as you would in a physical workshop, make sure that the expectations, behaviors, and attitudes are really clear and explicit. What does that mean? You know, you wanna make sure that people are clear that you want everyone to participate actively. You want them to listen. You want no side meetings. So if you dedicate a day for doing a virtual workshop, that means they need to give you the same commitment as if it was a one day offsite physical workshop. Just because it's virtual doesn't mean they can do their emails at the same time. Make that clear as an expectation from the start. Secondly, in order to maximize the energy and the productivity of the team, do get the participants working together within sub teams. 
And the Zoom video conferencing platform that we're using today, for example, is great for that because you can very easily create breakout rooms where different members of the workshop uh, participants can meet in a small group together. And it does bring energy because instead of animating 25 people, suddenly you've got a conversation going between five people where they need to build something, which obviously brings the energy levels much higher. And the third point from a facilitator's perspective, make sure that you provide a clear channel for participants to ask the animators questions. So one mistake that we made when we did this for the first time a long time ago was to say, okay, if there's any problems, just call us on our mobiles. And actually then it starts to become really complicated between managing phone calls, trying to manage the presentation, trying to manage the briefing, the instructions. There's just too many systems to manage. So if you can, try and keep it all within one channel. Microsoft Teams, for example, is really good for that because you can have the video conferencing on one side, you can have the instant chat on the other, and everything can be managed from the same platform, which means it's much easier for you as the facilitator. So that's the first three. The second three, and these may sound stupid, but it's still really important to schedule proper coffee and lunch breaks. You know, at the end of the day, people will need more, how can I say, they'll need their breaks even more so for a virtual workshop because it's slightly less comfortable being stuck in front of a screen all day. And so give them the time to get outside, take a breather, grab a coffee, and make sure that those pauses aren't squeezed to like five minutes. Give good ones like 10, 15, an hour for lunch so that people really come back to the room revigorized and reinvigorated. You can still do all the fun stuff. If you like doing fun stuff within your workshops, icebreakers, energizers, those are still all possible online and there's lots of tools that you can use to do that. And the last point is probably the most important point of all. Because you're not physically in the room, be even more rigorous than normal about defining the action plans, the next steps, and who's responsible for what. Because you're not gonna bump into the colleagues as you normally would in the office around the coffee machine to remind them of who's doing what. So that needs to be really clear in black and white with, with the expectations, the timings, as you would a normal action list. And there's one tool uh, that most of you will know, but we find is specifically helpful in this new environment, which is the RACI model, where it's basically you're saying for this task, this person is accountable, these people are responsible, these people need consulting before a decision is made, and these people need to be informed, but they don't take part within the decision-making process. So that's a very simple tool and obviously there's lots of ways, um, there's lots of material online to help you put that tool into place. The positive point, whilst virtual workshops may take a little bit more preparation, they take significantly less wrap up time, less recovery time, if you, if you like. And so what you need to be doing after your virtual workshop, but this is quite light in terms of quantity, recuperate all of the material that the teams and the people have generated on the digital platforms and take responsibility to organize it into a workshop debrief document. It's incredibly quick to do because you can just download them all, whether it's a concept template, whether it's your illustrations, all of that can just be downloaded very quickly and simply from the platforms, but then try and put it in a document that makes some sense and puts it into order. You know, it might be that you put all of one team's work together, or you put all of the material from one brand together, but just organize it and sort it such that people can use the outputs much better, much more easily. Then obviously communicate them as you would with any workshop as quickly as possible because we know that that helps to transform the actions into reality and the last point we found this really valuable which is do take a short time to review how the virtual workshop went especially if you've not done many of these 
and share those learnings with your colleagues who are also running innovation projects. So for example, if you've tested a new um, digital platform for idea generation, take the time, the five minutes to review it and share that with your colleagues in order that they benefit from your learning. You know, in this new environment, we're all learning, we're all testing different stuff. And one of the leadership behaviors you can show is saying, we've tried this, we learned this, we recommend this for other people in the same situation. So that's what we recommend before, during and after your virtual workshop. And there's many, many, many different platforms. You can host these on uh, Zoom, Slack, Hangouts, Teams, Skype. Often it will depend on what your company already has access to um, and also which platforms you feel comfortable with. In some cases, you probably just want to double check that your IT department is uh, happy with the level of confidentiality. We've never had any issues whatsoever, but I know that it can be sometimes a little bit touchy about that point. But use the platform that you think is most adapted for the needs of your virtual workshop. And I just wanted to give one example because obviously we're doing these much more frequently now than we were a few weeks ago. Um, one example here just to show that it's possible um, and it's great to see that we've got at least one of the participants from this workshop on the call today. So we recently did a full two-day workshop with 40 participants across two different countries which includes six different brand teams, the CMO, technical experts. Uh, we had two facilitators, you see Antoine there on the left managing uh, Klaxoon. Uh, we had two professional illustrators with us who you can see at the bottom who were bringing the ideas to life live for the teams using bits of design thinking methodology. And uh, even though we originally planned this as a physical workshop, we were able to easily transform that into a virtual workshop and still achieve the objectives. And just to give you some confidence that the participants found the experience good, uh, here's an extract from the feedback that they gave us. Uh, you know, dynamic, collaborative, bravo for the results in the organization at a distance, uh, great rhythm, uh, remote organization saves time, money, and the planet, which is quite an interesting one. You know, focused, interactive, and efficient, and a new and efficient way to collaborate at distance. And what we found is that actually a lot of the participants said that they found that this could be a very, very efficient way of working, even once life kind of gets back to normal, because it saved travel time, it saved travel costs. And they actually found the digital experience just kind of fun. It is a bit more fun and it has a novelty factor, especially at the moment that you can capitalize on. So last priority, and we're going to be a little bit provocative with this one in times of social distancing, etc. We're actually going to challenge you as innovators to take this as an opportunity to enhance your customer or consumer closeness. So we think that this is a time, this is not a time uh, to be distancing yourself from your consumer. And in fact, there are many ways that you can actually use this as a great way to connect with your consumers in ways that you may have not done before. So we've always said um, customer closeness is a number one priority for innovators. There is nothing more that can derail your innovation more so than consumers just not liking it or not seeing a need for it. So it is crucial at this time that you maintain your connection, your understanding of the consumers that you are trying to innovate for. So it's even more important then in this world where they're going to be changing and different things are happening that you remain close and connected and, and have a deep understanding of them and their challenges. There are lots of ways to do this. Um, so you can continue to do your consumer connections, your one-on-one -on -one chats with consumers via video calls. Skype has been around for, for many years now that we can still use as a way of chatting to people. It'd be really interesting if, if you're in the food industry for, at the moment in particular, um, to ask your consumers to do a day in the life via their smartphone. Take some photos of their cupboards stockpiled with, with products and with food. Ask them what their life is like at the moment and they can easily do that via smartphone, video, photo, things like that. It's also a great time to get stalking. Um, and when I say that, I mean, there are lots of social media groups out there where your consumers are likely to be. 
get onto those groups, read what they're saying, try and understand what their lives are like, uh, both before, during and after uh, the, the way that the world is now. There are loads of influencers, blogs, forums out there that are people who are influencing your consumers. Now is a great time and an opportunity to get an understanding of those influencers and, um, and, and, and deep, dig deep into what they're saying to your consumers. There's some really interesting stuff going on out in the world as well. Um, for example, artificial intelligence to get insights is a, is a new and evolving field that gives you really quick results um, in a lower cost environment as well. And there's some great platforms out there where you can co-create with your consumers. So you don't need to stop or have a one-way conversation. You can do co-creation with consumers virtually and online and there's some great communities of consumers who are very creative um, like the ICA community that uh, can help you out still progressing your innovation even within these times. So they've been our top five priorities for keeping your innovation going at pace over this time. So just a few final words of advice I guess if you want from us um, as we close up this uh, this webinar. Firstly, take some time out of your day-to-day -day rush in life to think about what does this new world look like for consumers once this has passed? Are there new opportunities out there? What's your consumer's life going to look like? They're learning different ways of living at the moment. So what's going to be the lasting impact? So this is really crucial in thinking about your innovation pipeline going forward and making sure that your current innovation projects are adapted and suitable for this new reality. The second piece is think about what your competitors are doing. Oftentimes in day-to-day -day life, we don't have the time or the opportunity to do a deep dive on what our competitors are doing and what they're looking at, what they're innovating. So take this time to do that. Make sure that you use the time that you would have been sitting on a bus going into work or you're in meetings that you're now not in to really have a look and, and get a strong understanding on what your, your competitors are doing. One of the great ways that, that we've found in the past many times of doing this is looking at investor reports, for example. They are actually um, a great source of information and very rich information about what companies are planning on doing in the future, including their innovation plans. So really use this time to get close to your competitors. Last two then is the first one we've called cutting edge. You know, within each industry, regardless of what uh, type of organization you have, um, there are some really interesting things happening in the startup world. I don't think I've met an industry or, or yet which doesn't have startups trying to identify ways to improve it. So have a look at what are the major startup innovations within your industry, within your perimeter, and what is happening in your industry in uh, so-called cutting edge innovation hotspots. So we all know there are certain places in the world where innovation is happening much faster, much quicker, in a much more radical and disruptive way than it might be in some of our Western European markets. And so looking there often gives us great clues as to what might be coming for the future of the industry and what those competitive threats might actually be. So do spend some time, if you've got time, doing a bit of desk research to expand your horizons. And what we see is this can be incredibly useful for business and brand plan presentations, which are coming up for a lot of people now for 2020, to have some fresh, sharp examples that are really disruptive about the way in which your industry might evolve, often scores major points with senior stakeholders. And there's one tool that I really wanted to flag. Uh, there are many out there, but this is one that we know and we've used um, called NR2. Um, and what NR2 do, which is really interesting, they've offered basically a free online search engine. Uh, you see the link here at the bottom. And what they're doing is tracking in real time the disruptive innovation trends coming through China. So obviously China having more startup unicorns than any other place on the planet and a speed of innovation, which is just mind boggling. What these guys are trying to do at NR2 is to capture that and allow other companies to tap into it to see what's going on. 
So not now, because obviously we want to keep you to the end of the webinar, but have a look at that. And I've put um, the CEO's details at the bottom, and I know that he's very happy if you want any more information about what they're doing. Uh, but definitely head to the search engine and have a play around for your industry to see what's happening in China at the moment. And last but not least, do take this strange situation that we're in as an amazing opportunity to learn. You know, there's a study that's just come in today to say that actually the majority of people are going to take time, uh, even if they're really busy, but take some more time than normal in using uh, the fact that they're remote working to learn some new skills, whether that's professional skills or whether it's just, uh, I've always wanted to learn the guitar, for, for example. But take the opportunity to learn because once you're back in the office and it's life kind of as normal, the spaces that you have in your agenda and your diary to do that, they just disappear. And whilst it might be really busy at the moment, you've got a tiny bit tiny bit more freedom to be able to build your own competencies. So maybe ask the questions about what are your innovation skills gaps? What are those things that you struggle with? Maybe uh, you struggle with concept writing or you struggle with test and learn experimentation or you really want to learn about design thinking. Have a think about what those gaps are, not only for you but also for your team and really try and think about how you could build that. There's lots of different things and offers and actors out there, whether it's virtual coaching that you want, whether it's virtual training that you want, whether it's online courses, um, there is lots of stuff. And if you need any help in defining what could be a good solution, then please don't hesitate to contact us. So that's it with three minutes to go. I guess our final messages are that you know, whilst clearly uh, COVID and coronavirus are incredibly serious um, and having a serious impact around the world, for the vast majority of people, obviously, there will be life after, after it. And we are confident, because it was already a fundamental trend, that that life will include more remote working. And so our cry, if you like, for you guys as innovators is to say, let's really challenge ourselves not to feel disrupted by what's happening, but to use this as a really unique opportunity to enhance the way that we innovate going forward. I think if there's one final message, which is obviously far more important than everything else we've said, it's stay safe and do everything that you're being told to do, especially in terms of social distancing. Uh, in order to really try and curb the growth of this really nasty virus. So that's it on the content. It's been really great having you here with us today. Just one request, if you like. As I said at the beginning, this is the first webinar that we, we've done as Innovinco, and I'd really encourage you to take one minute to answer three very short feedback questions which should pop up on your screen directly when we close the call. It will take you less than a minute and it will really help us understand whether this has added any value to you or whether we should spend our time doing something else. That's it. Um, so the last message is very much, do get in touch if we can help with any of that. As we said at the beginning, um, we've been doing this corporate innovation stuff probably combined with London now at least well, 38 something years and we're really happy to try and help answer questions about how you can attack a specific problem and often one of the things that our clients say most is how open we are to just having a chat about how we can potentially help or indeed put you in touch with someone who can. So that's it, it's 1.59, we're perfect in terms of timings, it's been a real pleasure to see so many of you on the call today and we hope to hear from you soon. Goodbye now. Bye, thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.